Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. Abortion is one of the sacred cows in our culture today. What is a sacred cow, you might be wondering. Sacred cow is simply something that cannot be questioned, critiqued, or challenged. It is untouchable in the culture that we live in. Some of you might be already thinking, well, pastor, hold on, hold on. No politics from the pulpit. That's why you're talking about abortion. Well, the topic of abortion is a very, very, very biblical issue because it's about life. And God's word is about abundant life, abundant life in Christ. So this is an issue that must be addressed from the pulpit. And as Christians... There are only three options for us when it comes to this topic. There's only three. Number one, we could either be silent and avoid the controversy. A lot of churches do that. They just they talk about everything else, but they, the abortion one, eh, we're just going to put that one to the side, not really address it in public. That's one option. Another option is we can speak the truth. We can be bold in our declaration, but do so in a very arrogant, unloving way. And in so doing, insensitively hurt people in the process. The third way, the only way forward as Christians to be faithful, is to speak the truth in love, as Ephesians chapter 4 tells us to do. Both to speak the truth in love to the culture as a whole, but also to those who are contemplating abortion. So that's the only option that we have left, speaking the truth in love. So I'm going to be covering a lot of ground today, but here's my main point. It's quite simple. God loves the unborn, and so should we. God loves the unborn, and so should we. To flesh that out, four questions, then a fifth one that Miss Gina is going to come alongside at the very end and help me out with. Four questions I'm going to address and answer, hopefully. Number one, what is inside? Slash, what is abortion? Kind of two questions in one. What is inside a woman? Slash, what is abortion? Number two, what is God's view of the unborn? Number three, how do we respond to cultural arguments for abortion? And then fourthly, is there hope for those who have had abortions or who have encouraged abortions? Firstly, what is inside? Okay, there are many arguments for abortion. All right, if you turn on the news, you have seen the arguments just plastered everywhere. And they're always, I mean, always attached to a story. A woman's struggle, a family's struggle. There's a lot of emotions charged into these things, both for abortion and also against abortion. Okay, a lot of arguments on both sides. There are many different tangents, many different side roads that this conversation can carry you to. But through it all, There is one central question 
that should control everything, that should control everything that you think about this topic, and that is this simple question, what is inside the woman? Okay? We always need to center back to that simple, basic question, what is inside a woman? So, to ask that slightly differently, when does human life begin? When does human life begin? This really is the crux of the matter. When does human life begin? Go back to the beginning. Human life does not begin. This is where science can come into the picture. Science is very helpful. Okay, there, there is some you know, debate and talk. You know, how, what's the reconciliation between science and religion? I'm not going to go into depth in that. Simply to say, science is helpful. Okay? We don't serve science as our God, but science is helpful. Go back to the beginning. Human life does not begin simply when there's a heartbeat, simply when there's brain waves to be detected, simply when a baby can feel pain. And human life does not begin when a baby is viable, which means when a baby can live outside of the womb. When does human life begin? At fertilization. Okay? I'm very, being very specific with that word, fertilization. It's usually in... In history, it's been said amongst Christian circles, human life begins at conception. Now, yes, that is true as well, but doing research for this, there's a modern push amongst some people to redefine conception as the moment where a fertilized egg is implanted in the uterus. Okay? So they, they try to push conception a few days, a few weeks from the moment that a fertilized egg happens, okay? So I think it's more precise and accurate to say human life begins at fertilization. What is that? Again, just a reminder for you. This is when an egg and a sperm cell meet together, right? Here's a nice little picture. I don't remember what these things are called, these 3D graphs, but a little picture for you of what this is, okay? This happened, this right here, the, the actual size is 0. 0.0005 inches, okay? So this is microscopic. You cannot see it with the naked human eye, all right? This is fertilization, though. It's when the egg and the sperm meet together. It's two cells forming to become one new cell, which in scientific terms is called a zygote. And this zygote, this new cell, this new thing, has full DNA, Okay? The DNA does not come added later. When the egg is fertilized, the, the complete total makeup of who this person is is complete at the beginning. It's a new individual, distinct thing. To be more precise, it's a distinct person. Okay? And notice the precise wording. This zygote, okay? This is a fully alive human being. This is a fully alive human being. A fully alive human person with potential. Now notice what I did not say. It would be wrong to say, and this is what a lot of the secular world says, this clump of cells has the potential for human life. It is wrong to say that. This is human life, fully, but there's potential. Just simply meaning there's room to grow. Like literally, room to grow. Now, someone may respond, okay, sure, the fertilized egg is the start of life, sure, but that clump of cells does not have the same value as 
a developed baby that's out of the womb, or a developed child, or a developed adult. You can fill in the blank there. But you simply, have you ever heard that kind of thought before? Right? This, this isn't as valuable as you sitting in the pew today. Okay? How do you respond to that? Well, simple question. What determines someone's worth? What determines someone's personhood? Asked slightly differently, what's the difference between you as a fertilized egg right here, as a zygote, and you today sitting in the pew breathing with your lungs? What's the difference? Scott Klusendorf, who is the president of Life Training Institute, which is a ministry that is all about equipping people to stand for life, how to articulate the pro-life position, he uses the acronym SLED, S-L-E-D, SLED, to highlight four differences between us at fertilization and us today. This is not rocket science, but this is some good apologetic tools for you to consider. S, size. Are you one millimeter big? Are you one inch? Are you one foot? Are you five feet? Okay. When does body size determine your value? If you're only one foot tall, does that mean you're not as valuable as somebody who's four foot tall? No. Okay. If you're one millimeter big, does that mean you're not as valuable as somebody who's ten feet tall? No. When does size determine human value? L, level of development. Now, yes, cognitive ability, a heartbeat, consciousness, sure, those are things that define what a human being is, but when did any of those determine value? Just think about it. Okay? The secular world points to, well, they don't have brain waves. There's no cognitive thought there. Um, there's no heartbeat yet, so that's not a human being yet. They don't have value. Well, what about those who are not cognitively aware? What about those who are in comatose? What about those who have an artificial heart? Are they not human? Are they not valuable? Are they not worthwhile? E, environment. And this is what he says, Scott. Where you are does not determine what you are. This is a big one in today's world. Where you are does not determine what you are. Okay? If you traveled five miles to get here to Hillsborough Baptist Church this Sunday morning, that does not qualitatively make you any different of a person. You just literally change locations. You're the same inherent person. Now, how is it? The traveling seven inches from the womb through the birth canal. How does that seven inches change the value of a person? It does not. They're valuable inside, they're valuable outside. D, degree of dependency. Well, some people might respond, well, you see, the person or the thing, right? They don't call it person. The thing inside a, a, a woman, that's, that's um, they're, they're not viable. They're dependent upon them for their life. So therefore, it's the mother's body. It's the mother's life. They don't have any... Okay, really quick to that. When does dependency upon other people determine value? Okay? There are many people in the world, maybe even here today present, that rely upon care from spouses, that rely upon care from doctors, that rely upon care... From your parents, right? Children, they need parents to stay al- literally stay alive. Are they less valuable? Because they're not independent. Absolutely not. When does dependency 
determine your value. There are only, these are the only four differences between you, the embryo, and you today. Right? Your size, your level of development, your environment, degree of dependency. And I'm here to simply remind you, brothers and sisters, it is not your cognitive ability. It is not your skin color. It is not the fact that you are male or female. It's not your athletic or physical ability. It's none of these things that give you value. What gives you value is the fact that you are made in the image of God. You had his image stamped upon you from the moment of fertilization, when you became a human being, when you were brought into the world, when you were at the very beginning, if you will, the very first stitch that God was weaving together, knitting together, right here. That's what gives you value. Not any of these things that you can do, but it's who God has declared you to be. Every human life is sacred. So secondly, if that's what is inside a woman, okay, it's a human being. Second question is, alongside that note, what is abortion? What is abortion? It's necessary to ask and answer that. The culture, you've heard this terminology before. The culture says abortion is a procedure to terminate or end a pregnancy. Okay? Abortion is essential women's health care. That's a very big one today. Abortion is a reproductive right. Let me clear the air very clearly. Abortion is a euphemism. Okay? We as human beings do this all the time with every sin you can think of. I struggle with lust. You use that in place of saying, I watch pornography every night. Okay? Abortion is a euphemism for what? Intentionally killing innocent human life. What is abortion? It is intentionally killing innocent human life. Okay? And dear Christians, I remind you, we cannot seed ground on this issue. We cannot play into the culture's disposition in their language because abortion is not health care. You have to see how absurd that is. It's not health care any more than slave trading is a legitimate form of business. Okay? It is so absurd to say that, to think that. Abortion is intentionally killing innocent human life. All right? Second question. What is God's view of the unborn? What is God's view of the unborn? Science is helpful. Okay? Science can tell you in life what is. Science can make observations. What is? But science cannot tell you what ought to be or how you should treat life. Science can't do that. That's where we have to find philosophy and religion and thinking about these deep things. Where, how do we think through, how do we treat life? Okay? Science says life begins at fertilization. How do we treat this life? How do we view this life? That's where we turn to God's word to find some clarity. And Psalm 139 is the seminal text on this issue. I'm going to read it again for us. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How does God view the unborn? as intricately knit together, as fearfully and wonderfully made, as delicately woven together. That's the strict textual answer from Psalm 139. 
But even if you were to cut this psalm out of the Bible, I'm not saying you should, okay? You can't tamper with the Bible. But if somebody were to take this psalm out of the Bible, take those verses out of the Bible, does that change God's perspective on the unborn? No, it does not. Because if you read the book from cover to cover, how does God view people? Both unborn and born, how does God view people? With love, with grace, with compassion. Okay? That's the overwhelming message of this Bible. That's the reason we have this. Okay? I hope you know that. The reason we have this book is so that we might know how God treats us. So that we might know how does God interact with us. With patience, with grace, with love, with compassion. That's the very reason we have this book in the first place. So how does God view the unborn? As sacred, precious souls in need of his grace and his love. Okay? This is fundamental for us to grasp. Third question. How do we address the culture's reasons for abortion? Let me give a disclaimer here. This topic, and I'm going to address it towards the end, and Miss Gina's going to kind of wrap us up at the end as well. The topic of abortion is one that needs to be engaged on two levels. Okay? On one level, we need to think through it logically. We need to think through it, what are the reasons for it? What are the reasons against it? We need to think through how do we engage the culture's um, talking points, the culture's dispositions about it, and on kind of, if you will, this theoretical debate level. We need to do that. Okay? A similar analogy, the problem of evil. Okay? How do we as Christians wrestle through the problem of evil in general? There's two ways to do that, two levels. One level is through reason, through philosophy, through um, searching God's word, coming up with those kind of logical arguments. You know, evil exists because X, Y, and Z. It's good to do that, but it's very different how you approach that topic with someone who is suffering in the midst of evil. Okay? If somebody has just suffered the loss of a child, it is not appropriate, not the time at all, to sit down with them and say, hey, you know, the logical argument that evil exists, that this happened, is because X, Y, and Z. Very inappropriate. This is similar with abortion, okay? What I'm going to share with you are some cultural reasons for abortion and then how we can engage them on an intellectual level, okay? To disarm these things intellectually. How we approach women and families who have been personally touched by this issue is a little bit different, okay? The truth doesn't change, to be clear, but the manner in which we communicate truth, the manner in which we embody the truth and grace changes slightly differently when we're literally talking to somebody who had an abortion yesterday, okay? Just to make that disclaimer clear. But nonetheless, all of you here are seeing these arguments for abortion on your news feeds, on the TV, on Facebook. How do we wrestle through them, okay? Here's seven for you. Number one, I would never get an abortion. I would never encourage anybody to get an abortion among my family or my friends, but I don't want to impose my own beliefs on anyone else. That's not my place. I personally am against it, but I can't put my views on other people. How do you respond to that? Let me simply ask you, what do you think about rape? school shootings, and sex trafficking. 
I trust that everybody in here today would say, I'm against rape. I would never do it. I would never shoot a school. I would never participate in or support sex trafficking because they are wrong. I would never do that. How absurd would it be for anyone here, anyone in general, to say, I would never rape, but I don't want to impose my beliefs on someone else. I don't want to prevent others from making that personal choice. Are you kidding me? Okay, The logic speaks for itself on that one. Number two. All right. The Bible never says anything about abortion. Some people actually will say this. Okay? The Bible never says anything about abortion. It doesn't even mention the word. How do you respond to that? Say it, say it again. But the, the Bible doesn't say the word abortion. That's, that's a good way to lead. Another way to think of it is the Bible also says, never says the word Trinity. Did you know that? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But if you read the book cover to cover, especially the New Testament, when we see the full picture, the Bible is extremely Trinitarian through and through. The Bible never mentions the word abortion by name, but the sacredness, the value, the preciousness of human life is seen from cover to cover. And yes, we could also go into the realm of what is abortion? Well, it's killing. Okay, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder, which is the sixth commandment. Another one. And a couple of these arguments, I'm indebted to <clears throat> David Platt, who's a pastor up in Northern Virginia, for laying out these, articulating some good responses to them. Third, argument four. The government cannot legislate morality. That is not the place of government. Turn it back on the person. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe the government should not legislate morality? What does the government do when it comes to stealing someone's property? Or even something as simple as lying. Lying in a court of law. What does the government do with those things? It legislates morality. Okay? Now abortion is not some neutral gray area that the government just can't touch. It is wrong. Abortion is wrong. Because it intentionally kills innocent human life. And the government should enact legislation to outlaw it. Number four. America is all about liberty. We're all about freedom here in this country. All about um, freedom. You should not be limiting women's right to choose. Okay. That's a very big one in today's world. Right? The right to choose. Firstly. How do, you, how do you address that? How do you think through that? The, the, the phrase, right to choose, is very vague. Very vague. Do we believe in choice? I'm asking you that. Do you believe in choice? Yeah. Everybody does, okay? This is not a trick question. I am pro-choice in that we should be able to choose, right, surface level stuff, but between Chinese and Mexican, between owning a home or renting a home, between an iPhone or an Android, okay? Yes, right to choose, yeah, sure, choose. The question is, choose what? Choose what? Choose what to do with my own body, okay, fair. You can choose what to do with your own body. What's inside of you? Well, that's not a body, that's not a person, that's a different issue, okay? 
establishing that that's an actual body, that's a person inside of you, especially, I mean, it's, right, human life begins a fertilization, to be clear. It's absolutely absurd to think that this, this right here is at nine weeks of life. This is not a body? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's indisputable in terms of our visible eyes being able to see it at this point. Look, that's just precious, okay? So yes, you can choose, but choose what? Should you have the freedom to choose to murder or not? We are not pro-choice about rape, about burglary or kidnapping children. Why should we be pro-choice about killing children? Okay? Number six. This one's pretty... Some of these are just... Number six. Pro-choice, being pro-choice is actually pro-life because it promotes the lives of the children and families that women already have. And that, that's a, a verbatim a quote that I heard from a debate and the, the person arguing for abortion was a former president of the ACLU, which is a very secular, very pushing abortion rights and all that kind of stuff. She said that pro-choice is actually pro-life because it promotes the lives of the children and families women already have. How would you respond to that? It's as simple as that. It is. It's not rocket science. You're saying that, yeah, we want to have women be committed to their children. We want them to be committed to their families. Absolutely. Does that not include the child in your belly, the child in the womb? It's as simple as that. Number seven, this is another very popular one these days. If you outlaw abortion, so many women will end up getting hurt through back alley abortions. How do you respond to that? Let me simply ask you, right, put it back on me. Why do people get upset at the thought of back alley abortions? Have you really thought about it? Why are people upset at the thought of back alley abortions? Because they're brutal and violent. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book entitled Pro-Life um, Arguments for Pro-Choice, or how to, basically how to respond to pro-choice arguments with pro-life truth. He said, the central horror of illegal abortion remains the central horror of legal abortion. Okay, did you catch that? The central horror of illegal abortion remains the central horror of legal abortion so true. Back alley abortions are bad, yes, because we don't want women to get hurt. We won't, don't want them to get damaged or you know, their bodies to be destroyed. Yes, we're for that. We, we don't want that to happen. What is abortion? It is hurting, destroying, literally taking the life of an innocent human being. And as he further notes, we cannot legalize procedures that kill the innocent just to make the killing process less hazardous. Okay? Those are, those are just a few bullet points, right? There, there's other nuances, other, um, not nuances, but other talking points that people will bring up for abortion. Okay? I hope that gives you a little bit of an idea of how to think through it. Right? When you see the news headlines, abortion is limiting a, a woman's choice to, to choose, what she can do with her own body. Right? How do you think through these things on an intellectual level? 
Hopefully that helped you a little bit. Then the last thing I want to end on before Miss Gina comes up is number four, is there hope? Is there hope? All of you have heard these arguments for abortion. It's plastered across the news. Six out of ten Americans, this is a recent poll, six out of ten Americans believe abortion should be legal in most or in all cases. Lest you think that this issue, that abortion is an issue out there in the world, in the culture, it is not. Abortion is pervasive even amongst Christians. One in four women will have an abortion, and over half of those who do identify as Christian. Now for some of you here today, this is not a culture war issue. This is not merely an exercise in biblical apologetics, thinking through these difficult topics. Abortion is a very personal issue because you may have had an abortion at some point. Or you may have seriously entertained it. Or you may have encouraged it. Or you've been silent and passive about it. And at the least, we all most likely, this is quite something we all most likely know somebody who has had one. Whether or not they would ever tell you that, whether or not it was a year ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, what? we all most likely know somebody who has had one. And the question is, what do I say, as the pastor, what do we say as a church to those who are hurting personally from abortion? Two words. But Christ. But Christ. Abortion, like many other sins, so often brings shame, guilt, regret, despair, and even fear. The core message of the gospel, though, the core reason of why Jesus came into the world is to bear the punishment for our sins. As we sang about it just moments ago, bearing all our sin and shame. In love you came to give amazing grace. Right? Jesus came to wear the shame, to wear the guilt upon himself. He is the one, when it comes to despair, he didn't just look at it, he plummeted the depths of despair. Taking on our sin, our suffering, our regret, our guilt, all of it, on the cross. As the perfect, innocent God-man. And why did he do it? Why did Jesus do that? Because... because John 3.16, okay, you know that one. Because of his great love for us. Because he loves broken, messed up, hopeless people like you and me. And it's not just, right, that's part of the equation. In that, you know, so abortion, lust, greed, pride, every sin you can think of. Jesus came to pay the punishment that you deserve. That's slightly good news, okay? But that's not the full good news. Because keep in mind, if Jesus stayed in the tomb, if Jesus stayed dead, that means that darkness would have had the last say. That means that death would have won. And think about the the state of the disciples right after that. Were the disciples joyful? Were the disciples happy? Were they bold? Were they courageous? Were they filled with hope? After Jesus died? No. They were terrified. 
They were guilty. They were filled with shame. They ran and hid. That would have been the end of the story. But because Jesus rose from the dead, his victory has the last say. Life now has the last say over death. Joy over sorrow. And now, because of the resurrection, instead of punishment, God offers a pardon. Instead of guilt, he offers grace. And instead of hopelessness, he offers hope. And all of that, right, that gift of healing, that gift of forgiveness, that gift of hope, it's available to everyone as long as you trust in Christ. You put your faith in Christ. What does that mean practically? It means, do you believe his word? Do you believe that his word is true? Do you believe that his promises are true? That if you call on his name, he will save you. That if you follow him, he will bring you into eternal life. Do you believe all of that? If you do, forgiveness is yours. Let me be clear, abundantly clear. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Okay? It is not. Because as Romans 5 verse 20 tells us, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where there is an abundance of sin, where there is sin that reigns in darkness, where there is an immense amount of it, there's an immense amount of guilt and shame and regret, where sin is great, His grace is greater. His grace covers over all of our sin. And then the last little note, if you've received this forgiveness, it does not mean that you're going to feel holly jolly 24-7. This is important to be frank about, right, right at the outset. It does not mean that you will not struggle with feelings of regret or sorrow of the past. But this is very important. I want you to hear me. In Christianity, according to the Bible, we operate by facts, then faith, then feelings. In that order. Fact, what is true, faith, putting our belief or our trust in it, and then feelings. How do I feel? The world inverts that and lives the complete opposite. How do I feel? You see that, especially with the transgender movement, okay? How do I feel? Or it could be sexuality, right? Homosexuality, it could be adultery, whatever it is. How do I feel? And then what do you do? You try to justify your feelings through your beliefs. By, by th- trusting in that, you trust in your feelings, and then what do you do? You look around the world for facts that back up your feelings. You try to sift through everything and say, you know what, I don't like what that says, so I'm just going to go with what this says. No. As Christians, what is the truth? What does God's Word say? Secondly, do I trust it? Do I follow it? Do I believe that? And then thirdly, feelings follow. And I found it fascinating. I was perusing through some of just the secular pro-abortion sites. I typed in in Google, should I get an abortion? Undoubtedly a popular question that many people put in. Planned Parenthood, their article where the, the question up top is, should I get an abortion? Somebody can go check later on and I can go check too. But reading that whole article... One of the initial things in the very first paragraph is, you know what's best for you. And basically, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about it? And and the conclusion at the end, too, was, you know, this is a complex issue. 
Um, you need to do basically what feels right, is, is the gist of the article. It's all about how do you feel, okay? Now, let me be clear. Are feelings good? Are feelings good? Yes. Feelings are good. Feelings are a gift from God, okay? Christians are not supposed to be these stoic people who are straight-faced all the time, can never smile, can never cry. Joy and sorrow, these are emotions from God. Emotions, feelings, help you to enjoy the beauty of the Grand Canyon, okay? It helps you enjoy a good meal. This is emotion. It's good. It's okay. But Christians are not dominated by our feelings, to be clear. So, tying this all together regarding forgiveness— and this is for all of you, right? not just regarding abortion. When it comes to your own salvation, your own walk with God, I don't feel like I'm a Christian. I don't feel like I'm forgiven. I don't feel like I'm deserving. We can wrestle with that. We can talk about it. But what does God's Word say? That's what you always need to go back on. What does the book say? It says that God is true. He's faithful. He's loving. Do you believe that? Okay. Always go back to what does God's word say? What does his word say? So church, this is a big issue, as you know. I'm not at all trying to act like this is the silver bullet to solve the culture's problems. You know, my sermon today. My goal today is simply to equip you to think through this biblically, to give you some good apologetic tools of how you can think through these issues when you see it plastered on the news headlines, even when it may come up in a conversation. But to be clear, when when this is raw on somebody's mind and heart, we need to approach them with extreme compassion, empathy, and yes, patience, with an open ear, okay? It's a serious role of the Christian. Approach them with open ears and open hearts, so, uh, Miss Gina, if you want to come on up, um, as you know, Miss Gina works, well, I don't want to steal her thunder, she, um, I've asked her to share on this note, mainly just talking about how does, what does this look like tangibly and practically, okay? Again, we're talking about, right now, what, I, what I've been covering, kind of the more theoretical, intellectual, apologetic way to interact with this issue. How do we care practically? What does that look like? What does it look like to show compassion to somebody who just found out they're pregnant, five, six weeks pregnant, and they're thinking about an abortion? How do we deal with that? How do we wrestle through that practically? So Miss Gina, come on up and share with us how we as a church can and how you do that. And yeah. Thank you. So Jimmy said, today being Sanctity of Life Sunday, um, it's a time for us as Christians and as a church to really pray about, to think about um, how we can support not just the value, but the sanctity, which is the holiness of all human life. Um, and that's from fertilization to a natural death. And so in my ministry that I'm going to talk about, we focus on one part of that. I mean, there's so many parts of sanctity of human life, and that's caring for the ill, the disabled, the um, end of life but I'm going to focus on one part of that. Um, So I am a nurse manager at LifeSpring Pregnancy Centers. Um, We have three locations in Central Virginia, 
um, two in Charlottesville and one in Culpeper. Um, we are 100% nonprofit. We don't charge for any of our services. Everything is free. Um, we are staff. We have a staff, um, a medical ministry staff, which I'm nurse manager for. And so we have a doctor, we have nurses, we have sonographers, um, and we're supported by a lot of volunteers. Um, we simply could not do it without our volunteers, which are both medical and non-medical. Um, we are a resource center. Um, we supply material needs to women. Um, we collaborate with other ministries in town, like Love Inc., um, like Loaves and Fishes, um, and several women's shelters um, to, to carry through this ministry. Um, and most importantly, we are a Christian and a gospel-centered organization um, because our belief is in empowerment through truth. And we don't just want to focus on the, the little T truths, things like accurate information about a woman's options when she has an unplanned pregnancy, um, about health care, about parenting. We don't just want to give those kind of truths. We want to give the capital T truth. So for every woman, we work towards the goal of introducing the gospel to her. Um, so um, we serve women not only with unplanned pregnancies, but a whole other population of women that may already have a small child. They may be a single parent struggling with surviving and, and living with their cho the choice they made for life for their baby. We um, help women who are in domestic situations, um, and which affect, would affect her decision whether or not to carry a pregnancy. Um, and we also just help families who are at risk of losing their children, of not being able to keep their family together, of um, all kinds of social issues. So um, we try to help these women and these families, and it's, it's not just the women, we also help the entire family, the siblings, the children, um, to, to not just have life, but to have abundant life. And abundant, as Jimmy mentioned earlier, has to do with abundant life in Christ. There's no other way really for these women to, to experience that without knowing the gospel and with believing the gospel. So we, of course, want life assured for every baby, hope renewed for every family, and lives transformed by Jesus Christ. That is our, our vision, what we hope to see through our work. Um, the services that we provide include um, pregnancy testing, STI testing, um, ultrasounds. Um, we have a parent university program. Um, which is where the, the families can watch videos, they can come to in-person classes, and those cover topics um, on everything from pregnancy and breastfeeding, labor and delivery, postpartum, infant care, life skills. We have a dad university, so um, the, the fathers who stay involved with their families um, are mentored by a male um, member of our, a male volunteer, and they can earn things for their family, actual tangible items for their family. Things like car seats, diaper bags, you know, cribs, they can earn all sorts of things. And that's, everybody can earn those. Um, we do, we have discipleship and Bible study classes for the women who we serve. Um, we um, also offer private one-on-one -on -one counseling and discipleship for women who are post-abortive. So because a woman has made a choice to have an abortion, we do not stop serving her and we do, do not stop praying for her and loving on her. Um, we encourage her to come back um, and where she can be mentored and eventually come to receive the gospel. Um, so Hillsboro is one of our, is a huge supporter of our ministry and so we're very thankful for all the materials, the support, the tours, the, the things that the Hillsboro um, family has done. 
And so I want to share a little bit of the of our statistics from 2023 with you. Um, in 2023 alone, we had over 1,700 visits. Um, 700 of them were new clients, so women who had never been to a LifeSpring before. Um, over 1,000 of them are women who are in the program and they come regularly to be discipled and to be mentored. We had we did 364 pregnancy tests, 152 um, STI testing series, and we did 231 ultrasounds. And so of all the, those 231 ultrasounds that we did at LifeSpring, initial ultrasounds, 82% um, of the women who were considering abortion chose life. So I feel like that's a victory in process. So, um, and we had over 900 separate visits for material support, um, such as you know diapers, wipes, clothes, baby gear, um, and referrals. And like I said, Hillsboro has given a lot of these supplies and people from Hillsboro, so we very much appreciate that. Um, we had spiritual discussions and shared the gospel with over 500 women. And in 2023, 12 of these women gave their lives to Christ in our center, like while they were there and have stayed with us and continue being discipled. So at LifeSpring, 49.5% um, of our clients are identify as Christian. And so that means that 50.5% are not Christian. And so we see that as a huge ministry field and a huge opportunity to, to reach these women for Christ. Um, many of our clients heard the gospel for the first time at LifeSpring. And many of them have told us that they've met a lot of Christians in their lives and that they've never, nobody has ever talked about the gospel to them. And so we feel that is very convicting to us that we need to, as Christians, all of us can, can do better at that. <laughs> when more than half the women we see who are Christian don't, have, have never heard the gospel. I mean, I'm sorry, who are not Christian, have never heard the gospel from any Christian they've met. Um, and so if we believe it, if we believe the gospel, then we naturally would want them to have that, to have that opportunity of salvation too. And so um, a lot of our clients do not want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear anything about church, about God, about religion, about Jesus. Um, and so we feel like that, again, is another opportunity. Um, we think a lot of the parable of the sower. And, you know, many of these women are what, you know, the clay, the hard soil that would not receive the seed. But we feel like we have the opportunity to till the soil, to help them remove the weeds, to help them nourish their soil, and just to love them, to show them the love of Jesus Christ, to keep pouring into them, and that we pray that if it's not us, that somebody else, that we'll prepare the soil, that somebody else can plant the seed, and that it will take in fertile soil. Um, and so how does all of this affect us? You know, we're Christians, we're already in the pews, where we lead different lives. How does, how does this all affect us? And, you know, Jimmy mentioned that one in four Christian women have had an abortion, but also one in five women who've had an abortion in the United States were sitting in a pew in a Christian church the month of her abortion. And so many of these women ultimately turn away from church. They reject salvation. They reject God. They reject the church. Many of these women tell us that I can't go to church anymore. People will know. People will know. They'll, they'll reject me. They, they'll think differently of me. You know, God doesn't want me anymore is another one we hear. And so this is another opportunity for us as Christians um, to help a woman believe what Jimmy talked about, that it is not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is rejecting salvation, right? Is, you know, 
I'm, Jimmy would say it much better. <laughs> I'm sure. It's it's that they're not they're not condemned if they with Jesus. Um, so, and of the women we see in our center, um, more than 88 percent who have had an abortion, more than 88 percent of them say they did not want to abort their baby. They know it's a baby. They say they did not want to do that. They didn't know what else to do. They were desperate. They were alone. They were scared. They were hopeless. And a lot of them say they were forced. They feel like they were forced by people in their lives, by their situation, by not having help, and they felt that there was no other option. And so truly our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, um, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's really what it is. It's really about, about evil. Um, most of these women who have abortion, I, I would say, do know in some sense, a small sense, that it's not what they want to do and it's not right. They know it's a sin. And they feel they're in the position where they don't have support um, and they, that they need to make the decision they know is, is right. Um, and so as Christians, what can we do? And number one, everybody can do is pray. Is pray for these women Pray for them to see truth. Pray for people to rise up, including ourselves. Um, we can, you can tell people about LifeSpring Pregnancy Centers, that we're there to help them, that it's, their situation is not hopeless. Um, and you can remember John 4.14, which says, But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so you can share that, LifeSpring Pregnancy Center is not the, the true LifeSpring. The true LifeSpring is Jesus himself. Um, you can love those who seem unlovable, that are leading lives that are so far from the word and are so far from a Christian ideal. And through love and through the gospel, you can show them that there's a better way. Um, if you've been affected by abortion, you can forgive. You can accept forgiveness and salvation because with Jesus, you are not condemned. You can volunteer. You can volunteer at the center. You can volunteer at home. There's things that can be done. You can look around you in your community and see the women, the families that need that need you, that need your help and your love. You can give materials. Um, we always are we always welcome baby gear, used or new, um, diapers, wipes, you know, formula, anything to help these families. Um, you can. Join in events like our Life Spring Banquets. We have walks. We have a golf tournament every October where, you, where we raise funds to help keep this, these doors open. Um, and despite being up against the media, being up against popular culture and the evil one himself, um, you can remember that we do know the end of the story. Um, we know what we can do, and we know who's on our side. And we know who the real victor is. So um, I'm thankful that all of you listen. I know this is a really um, difficult today or difficult talk what we had to say um, but we thank you for being here we thank you for listening um, at Hillsborough at uh, LifeSpring we're so thankful and we, I can't I, I can't say how thankful we are really for all the support we've gotten from people in this church people from a lot of churches I think there's 72 churches in the area that are supporting us right now um, and so if you would like to know more about how you can help if you 
need to talk to somebody yourself or you know somebody in your life who could use individual support or need, would like discipleship after abortion, you can speak to me after church, but also I give you my private information later and you can contact me privately at work if you would like, if you have questions or any kind of need for support. Um, and so I thank you all again and, and just may God bless you all. So. Really nothing to add to that other than to say two things. That's one, truth and love, grace and truth. Okay, some of us are more hardwired for truth. Some of us are more hardwired for grace. You can do one or the other, in a sense, on your own. But you need Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to do both at the same time. And that's also the practical purpose of the church, right? So we need one another in this. And then secondly, right, if we're, the culture has redubbed pro-life, as you've probably seen in the headlines, as anti-abortion. Okay, that's partially true, right? We're against abortion. But don't let that, don't seed ground on that issue either, okay? We are pro-life. It's not that we're anti-abortion, we're pro-life. But to truly live that out, that means that if we're encouraging, as Miss Gina is expressing, if we're encouraging women and families to have unplanned pregnancies, somebody's got to support them. Okay? And it's not the role of the government to do that. Okay? It's not social welfare programs or whatever. The, the people who must fill the void, who must help out, is you and me. Okay? It is the church's role to fill the void. So just keep that in mind. It's a community effort and we need grace and truth. Let's pray and then let's close with the doxology. Our Father, for this topic that is highly charged, highly sensitive, convictions are deep on both sides. Please give us humility. Give us hope and courage in your word. Give us compassion for those who are contemplating. Give us empathy for those who are hurting. And Father, for the, maybe it's a fringe, but for those who are antagonistic in their viewpoints on this issue, Please soften their hearts that they might not only see the sanctity of life inside of women, but as the psalmist declared, that they might also declare that your, your thoughts are precious to them. Help us to champion human life, the dignity of human life, beginning in the womb. But also, Father, help us to live out the reality of verse 17, and that is to see Help others see that your truth is precious, your thoughts are precious, because we need both to live, but we also need to live in you. Help us to be passionate about both aspects, about choosing human life generically, but also being more specific in choosing abundant life in you, Jesus. 
Please help us in this endeavor. We ourselves are broken people, and even if abortion is not something that we personally may wrestle through or have wrestled with, each of us are filled with mistakes, are filled with sin, are filled with flaws. And please help that ever-present brokenness to be on our minds as we interact with those who are struggling with this. We are no better than others. We are simply beggars who have been given the bread of life. And Father, please help us by Your Spirit to show others where that living bread is. We need You, Jesus. We need You, Holy Spirit. We need You, Father. Please help us. In Your name we pray. Amen.